Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can find at theoryofdfs.com. Join with me as usual. Neil Orfield. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm finally, I'm finally up on, up on the year now. I, I went, I went from 15k down to 20k up, all because of uh, MMA. I didn't see that you had a big win, big win in MMA. Must have I mean, been not big I, d- depends on what you consider big. I mean, thirty-five thousand. I mean, yeah, relatively big for for what you're playing. To take you from negative to positive on the year, it would take me at this point, I think, more than a hundred thousand to get positive on the year. Oh, so, oh, uh, you're, oh, you're you're down that bad. I think I'm actually. I might be up this month too. I just I had a really bad January, sort of bad February. I mean, that's not. That's not out of uh, unusual for me. I think I think last year I was probably down about the same amount at this time of the year. So right, your your swings are much larger than mine. So yeah. like you know, uh, six figure swings are are more normal, and me, you know, low five figure are more normal. Right, right, fifteen to thirty. That that that'll happen a couple of times. So thirty five thousand for you is is a big help in terms of getting to your goal of you know seventy thousand ish for the year. Oh yeah, oh, abso- me, absolutely. And the weird, my debt slightly. <laughs> <laughs> the weird thing was is that it was it was not in the large field contest. It yeah. was it was in I build I typically on MMA slates build three like smaller field if you want to call them type you know I play like the five fifty five. You know, the $200 three max, the $100 single entry, the 55, like there, there's a whole bunch, like 55. That, and I just basically have three lineups and I try like one five fifty five, and then the other two are in a bunch of other stuff. And then they have like the secondary contests. So you have like the, the, the $8, 5,000 entry contest. I'll, I'll put all those three entries into those and across the okay. board into everything. And then they had the secondary $15 contest. So I put all three entries into there. And then one of those three lineups was like the sixth nut lineup, which came in like, would have came in like 13th in the large field for not all that much, 650 bucks or something. Right. But it was the solo winner of like the secondary contest for 10,000 and like all of the single entry three max contests, including, including an MMA qualifier. Oh, nice. Oh yeah, I, I did. I think I did see that. I saw that you you won a qualifier. Have right. you won two qualifiers, or is that the one that I? No, that that's that that's the only MMA one I've won. Was it was it not this weekend, but the weekend before then? Yeah, yeah, it was your... the weekend before. Okay, right. okay, right, because right, we okay. we do every other. I did week. see that. Right, that's funny because we we talked about whether you would go to a live final. Do you think you'll go to this one? Well, I mean, it's a it's a it's a, a qualifying process. So, like, it's seventy five uh, qualifiers. And then it's okay. three rounds. So the first round, they eliminate 70 to 30. The second round, they eliminate 30 to 10. And then those 10 go to the wherever that, where to, to be determined location or whatever. But I mean, it's a minimum payout of $2,000, even if I got knocked out in last place in the in the first round. Yeah. Uh, but, the, but the qualifiers uh, are cheaper. And it's only an $8,200 seat right right so it's like they're they have like 31 man qualifiers of like 400 bucks and then they have like a hundred dollar qualifiers of 111 or something i mean like it's not it's not 
It's not that costly. And it, it, I, I qualified in a, it was like 560 man, $20 entry. So I just threw all three lineups into that. Give, give me that. And yeah, wherever it is, it is. Cause I'm, I'm typically each of those lineups end up at around 500 bucks a piece. So I just play those and, I mean, I, I'm i always pretty much going to do well when the biggest favorite, uh, the most owned favorite and the most owned underdog uh, both lose. So, like, okay. it was one of those types of slays. Well, as opposed to this past weekend where... Oh, yeah, right. Where, like, at, at, if, any, if anyone was 40-plus percent on, they did well. Yeah. I was rooting pretty hard against Jack Shore winning, even though I had more of him than the other guy. I was about half the field, so did not like when he put up a big score. Right, I, I had I I played a decent amount of sure. I was still under, but I played much less of Paul Craig, who was the other like he was like a forty one percent owned underdog, yeah. Uh, because it, because there were there were five humongous dogs on the slate. It was one of those cards where that like the five top guys were like minus four hundred or above, uh, right. and the way that Paul Craig fights is that if he doesn't get a submission, the, the his opponent typically puts up a humongous score. So I played that cry. I played Krylov. I played a ton of Krylov at like eighty. It was eighty seven hundred, and he could have easily scored one hundred and twenty had Paul Craig just been content with staying on his back and trying to get a submission for three rounds while getting pummeled in the face. Yeah, but he but he got a submission, and then pff, there goes there goes that. I played a lot of uh, Luana Carolina, and I started watching the fight, and I was like, I can't even envision a way that this woman wins. <laughs> like, she just like the, the way she was fighting, just she looked scared, like she wasn't trying to make contact, and then when she did, it was kind of like weak jabs. I was like, I, I can't even imagine what would have to happen for for this woman to win. So yeah, yeah, she's not very, she's not very good. No, but uh, but your your uh, assessment of like, obviously, we're using some form of projection in a way obviously i use more betting lines versus ownership type of thing uh but overall in mma uh main event fighters are typically overowned, and female fighters are typically underowned, and the highest variance fights are heavyweights and female fights so uh i just wanted to shout out uh uh will and jordan over at saber sim uh, did a, recently last week did a video, like a fifty minute long video. Will was putting together their their MMA model, and uh, the the week that I won a lot, he Will reformed racer. He won the large field contest for a hundred thousand solo. Uh, his first week of doing an MM of of putting out his MMA model. So it's very similar to me like last year. Like, oh, I might as well uh, update my stuff in Excel and try to do this much better. And then the week after, yeah. winning, winning 116,000. Uh, yeah. But they put out a video that uh, other than the fight data simulations that they do, essentially their process, that process that Will does is a, 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 a more advanced version of exactly what I do. Huh. Like, like literally, but I mean, but they're doing simulate They're Like, obviously I'm not doing Sims and also right. I'm not doing Sims based on the, the fighting metrics of like strikes absorbed and all that, you know, punches thrown and takedown defense. They do all of that and they simulate the fights right. and then they run, you know, 10,000, hundred thousand, whatever like that. 
and then they calculate duplication and all that type of stuff to get to give you know you know the, the expected value type of lineups. Did uh, they calculate duplication within SaberSim? I didn't realize that. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, they discussed or, it on the on on the the video at least. Okay. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure what goes into you know what shows on their screens because I I don't use SaberSim. But like just the just the overall process of like he's using betting lines okay. as far as when finishes happen and then how much do they score in wins versus other fighters and then combining ownership to say how how owned how duplicated is this lineup going to be it's like he talked it all out and it's like other than the fight simulations it's pretty much exactly what I do I mean I hack through it by making my own little projection rating in order to get right. that all together. Uh, but they also talk about just general MMA DFS strategy, you know, it, playing exploitatively. I mean, it essentially is an exploitative right. style. And uh, based on his, on his back testing, I was assuming he's done, doing something a little bit more data driven than me, anecdotally driven of, you know, been playing MMA for almost two years that, Heavyweight fights are the most variant because anyone can get knocked out and because they throw hard. So like when in doubt, I'll I'll take the I'll take the heavyweight that is underowned than than a featherweight. Those fights typically don't get those fighters don't get knocked out at you know one twenty five or whatever one thirty five. What what is the main event typically? Is it a heavyweight? Uh, it could be anything. I mean, typically the main event is just the Whatever fight for a, fight, for a normal fight night, it could be just the two most named fight, like the whatever they believe okay. is the car, you know, that most eyeballs. And pay per views, it's almost always a title fight, right? And typically, they may even have two or three title fights. So right. there's no like, there's no well, this could be a wake. I mean, I mean, uh, Shevchenko could be a main event, and she's a 125. You know, it could be that. That could be the main event. Right, right. It just well. Uh, title fights have to are five rounds, and main events on fight nights are five rounds. That's the only difference. But uh, heavyweight fights typically uh, are high variance, means the range of outcomes is extremely wide. Because heavyweight fights typically don't have much volume, but they could be a KO at any time. Right. So you either in the basically if heavyweights you care pretty much the entirely on the first round. So, like in the first round, either of these guys could get a knockout, but and it, once it goes to the second and third round, this fight's not going to have enough volume that in a decision these fighters are not going to be optimal. Interesting. So, like for like uh, this past this past slate, like I didn't mind playing a little bit more of Shamil Abdurahimov, who's old and horrible, but it's a heavyweight fight. We have horrible dogs down in that range. I'd rather take a shot on someone like that. Or a female. I played a bunch of Elise Reed, who was a little bit more expensive. I did too. Because uh, typically the lines on on women's fights are too wide. Because other than a couple of really top women's fighters, most of the division is very close to one another. So if there's going to be some type of upset, it may come in in a women's fight. And also uh, the UFC stats service this is this is anecdotal, but maybe it could be proven. Uh, counts more strikes as significant for women that they wouldn't count for men. Okay. 
So, like, yeah, you, you still get the strikes, but as far as, like, it seems like any strike in a women's fight is considered significant. Yet in a men's fight, you may see someone with 130 strikes, 46 significant. So you don't I get the extra point, too. Luana Carolina and see if any of those were counted as significant strikes. Then they probably are. Because I didn't see many. Yeah. Right. But I mean, they, they probably counted as them. Uh, and then the other thing is that the main event typically is over owned. Yeah. People? I think I had 100% of the main event, uh, which was not. It's because. So I. I understand that in MMA, like projections are not worth all that much. I mean, so I, I change projections quite a bit. I think I cut off 10 fantasy points on the projection of both of them. And like, because I do it pretty incrementally, I think I still ended up with at or near 100% on the main events. Only because they, so. they were in the mid range, because you got a main event fight right, right. that was 8,300, 7,900. You wouldn't right. have gotten that if it was a much bigger favorite. The, the, the thing about, uh, the slate yesterday. I've been, I've been experimenting in Excel with. Uh, I've been working so much more on on MMA than on any sport. I think I've ever, I've ever. I mean, gone it's probably, it's probably the most edge if you can figure it out because it's, uh, it hasn't been around that long, and there aren't that many like pros who like focus on MMA. At least that's my impression. I could be totally wrong about that, but I don't feel like there are that many guys who I think of as being like, this is an MMA guy. Like th th their main sport is MMA. Well, they could be main sport MMA, but they may not be a, a 150 max MMA. True. Maybe they play the high stakes, you know, cash games, stuff like that. But uh, I, I like MMA because it has a very, it has very similar dynamic to showdown, without correlation because the hardest part for me only because my excel skills are not not high and i don't know r and i could i don't know python i mean i could probably get very basic python from my past experience but i mean i'm i'm almost 20 years removed from doing any form of like coding like that uh the correlation is the hardest part of of simulating anything, of running, you know, lineups, how correlated are the players to each other. But in MMA, there there is zero correlation other than two fighters in the same fight, right? right? Only one person can win. But the fighters to each other, I don't care about. There's no there's no correlation of that. So I'm able to, like, create and lineups in Excel, just combinations in Excel that I don't have to worry about, well, if this quarterback's in the like, put this wide receiver in, it's just fill up as 50k max and give me all the combinations of all the fighters uh, that don't have two two of the guys in the same fight. And you're you're doing this on your own in Excel? Yes. You don't use an optimizer at all for? No, no, I do MMA? use the no. This, this, I'm talking about my experiments. Okay. Like this is not what I'm doing to create lineups. All. What I I'm using doing exactly what I, what I'm doing what I've always done, at least for the past I don't know nine months to to, to build lineups by using right. my spreadsheet, creating a leverage score, and then building lineups based on that score. Okay. But what the the thing that I'm missing, uh, which which I, I've I've learned intuitively, but I want to kind of prove out the stuff that I have thought about intuitively, and like for instance. On the on this past slate, I theorize uh, I if I calculated just purely based on betting lines that seventy percent about seventy percent of the time 
one of those big five, one of those five big underdogs would win. Mm-hmm. Just based on the betting lines, if you just do a simple, simple, you know, uh, p calculation, yep. like that, all you have to do is go. To, here are the here are the probabilities of based on the money line odds, right? And then go at least one of five win. That yep. number was like seventy percent, thirty percent of the time. All five favorites will win. Uh, and these are the biggest, the biggest five favorite, the biggest discrepancies. Right. right, and they're all the nine K fighters up there. So, like on those types of slates, it's the main reason where I say I prefer the slates where the biggest favorite is not that big of a favorite. Where where the nine K fighters are like more like minus two twenty, like minus two hundred, minus two fifty at the max, rather than. I mean, we had minus 600, minus 580, you know, guys with 80, 78, 82% win chances rather than 70% win chances. Cause then, cause people on those slates, there's so many more combinations of light of, of uh, probable winning lineups than on slates. Like we saw d- d- uh, this past Saturday, but that's the main reason why I, in Excel, I've been working on, Back test. I don't know if you want to call you call it back testing, but comparing the, I'm I'm doing it in a very Florida Florida way. If 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 you want if you want to hear me explain it, I don't sure. know if you're interested. Uh, I'm not using fight data, so I don't have any way of of scoring decision wins properly. Okay. So I could go by round one finishing odds, round two finishing odds, round three finishing odds, and then decision finish you know decision odds on every okay. fighter right and then the money line is the win can is you know how often if it, it, 80 20 20 of the time this guy wins how often is it in the first round second round third round now obviously first round you get 90 points second round you get 70 third round you get 45 and obviously 40 and 40 for the five round fights uh i all what i would what i do is I would take the mean projection, the aggregate of that of all of the fighters that I have, uh-huh. uh, come up with a with a, a a middle number of that, and based on how much that mean projection is above or below that middle number, determines how many points that I'm assigning per round to that fighter. So that's that that, that to me that's the. The strikes and everything. So the guys that are obviously higher projected, like a five round fight, get more points per round. Sure. And the guys that have poor projections get less points per round, but they'll still get some points. So like a big underdog may score, you know, six, seven points per round, but in a in a first round win, that's like ninety seven, right? Okay. Yep. Right. Something like that. But like. The top end guys, if they win in the first round, they're getting like one twelve. Right, right, right. So, so it, I'm able to balance based on that, where it's not just first round winners are just ninety, no matter what who you are, right. Yeah. So you get you get the higher price guys get the higher projected guys, which tend to be the higher price guys anyway. Uh, right. So what I'm trying to do, I can't simulate the contests because I'm just not skilled enough to do that. Uh, but I could based on those probabilities. I could si- I could simulate the score of a lineup compared to a target score. Right. So based on the win the money line odds, the round 1, round 2, round 3 odds, I can now simulate like 
20, you know, it could be like uh, 18% of the time this guy wins in round one. Uh, uh, it, could, now, it could be more like like 8% of the time this guy wins in round one. Uh, 12% of the time he wins in round two. Uh, 14% of the time in round three. You know, sixteen percent time in decision, and he's and he's a he's a plus one thirty underdog. So that that all would equal like forty six percent total. You know, like for like forty five percent. So because the other guy will have fifty five percent of the time he wins, right? So based on that and based on the projection, then each and every time I run a sim of of the of that fight of those fighters, it'll come up like ninety two forty six. Whatever it is that the, the added per round, because if if it's if it's a if it's a first round win for that guy, it'll always be one twelve. It'll never be like one hundred five. Because I'm I'm just basically saying if it's a first round win, it's ninety plus this score, right? right? And if it's a third round win, it's forty five plus this score times three, right. right? Because it's three different rounds. I mean, it's it. Like I said, it's that's not that's not how you should be doing it. Just that's the only way that I could kind of hack through. And then, then what I'll do is I'll I could create every single lineup combination. Mm-hmm. So I'll create every single lineup combination that there is where two fighters are not in the same lineup. Uh, although I could do ones obviously that stack fights or whatever, but I I'm never playing those lineups. So it does to me it doesn't even matter what I calculate. Uh, and then I could run. A thousand. I, I'm my way of doing it in Excel is absurdly slow. So like I, if I were to do ten thousand, it would take me all day. I could do a thousand in an hour. Like it's okay. real. It's really slow. Even creating the lineups. MMA, you have that time though. You can do right, it right. And MMA have that time. I mean, even creating lineups. I mean, MMA for like a tw- twenty six fighters on a slate still takes me like an hour and a half to get all the lineups. Yeah. If if you do it in like R or Python, you could probably do it in like three seconds. But I mean, I I just don't know how to do that. Uh, so you can't hire somebody. I mean, yes, I technically can. You're right, I can. But I don't want to have to rely on. Oh, anytime I yeah. want to do this, I have to give it to someone else, or I have to run something. Like I, I it, it's this is not important. I'm not I'm not doing this to create lineups. I'm doing this to to experiment with slate yeah. dynamics. Right. So I run. I would run all the lineups. And then run the simulation like that. And then come up with a target score of 600, 620, 58, whatever I want. Uh, and go, how? what percentage of the time does this lineup hit that score? Okay. Right. Uh, then I could download the CSV of the, of the contest standings from the pad, from the slate to see what the actual lineups are in the contest. So like the next day you're doing this. Right. The next, right. This is, that's why I said, this is not something that I could do yeah, like yeah. in general, but I mean, I could do it. I, I could do it beforehand just to get those numbers of the probability of this lineup hitting X score. So if I would set it at 600, I go, here's, here's 40,000 lineups. Simulate this a thousand times and tell me the scores of, each each time this lineup runs, how many t- how many of those thousand is it six hundred plus? And I'll get a number on each lineup. Uh, and then 
After the slate, what I could do is then compare the actual lineups in the contest and say, this person's 150 lineups. How many of their lineups score over 620 points X percentage of the time? I'm not even factoring duplication because that's not the purpose of what I'm... I'm just experimenting with slate dynamics. Right. And uh, from what I found, at least in the way that I'm doing it, is that my 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 instincts are correct. Okay. That So, for instance, on this past slate, uh, where we had five 9K fighters that were like minus 400 and above, uh, that any lineup that left more than $1,500 on the table didn't win often enough. Okay. Only because there's... Only because there's five fighters that could at the high range that could score so many points that the only right. way for those lineups to win is if like the all the the mid range guys outscore the nine k guys, right? And and one of the underdogs puts up like you know enough points, like that. Type. I was actually just about to ask you about that whether you have tested at all the the salary limitations, like so. I, I was looking at top pros. I was looking at yours. I was looking at uh, bricks. I looked at several different people, and the only one that I saw that I think had a salary cap at all was Brick. I don't think you had one. Um, I think he had like a he had a forty nine eight hundred or something like a very minimal cap on the salary of his lineups. What the and cap I, max cap or min cap? Max, max max cap. Oh yeah, I never I never have a max cap. Yeah. So I I do only in showdown and. I, I've been trying to think about this lately, whether it's a mistake. So the the first time that I played MMA or like actually like tried to play seriously, I did a little study beforehand and looked at a couple of the pros in the previous week's contest and saw that Steve Buzzard had like a cap of, I don't know, 49, 400 or something. So I took away from that. Well, he had, he had just won recently prior to that in MMA too. So I thought maybe that's what you need to do in MMA to get unique is put a cap, a max cap on your salary. So I've been doing that, uh, but I've been kind of wondering if I'm making a mistake. Like, you know, I'm, I'm getting unique. I look at, I look at my lineups, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm happy with the number of my lineups that are unique or under five dupes. But then I'm also wondering all the time, like, but do they have any chance of winning? Like, I just don't right. know if I'm- Well, that's the, that's the key that I'm, t- t- first right. off, you could find unique lineups that spend 50K, depending on the slate. Yeah. There are right. combinations that are, so like, that's the reason I don't have a max cap. But I used yep. to- have meant like if you're if you're going to judge your play in MMA solely on uniques, I think that's flawed based on what yeah. what the the slate dynamics. So, for instance, uh, I saw a bunch of lineups. I, I downloaded the CSV, and uh, and I do that. I do this literally one minute after lock. Just so I want to see my uniques, my under five dupes, and I mean, you go to sports-projections.com, you could do it quickly like that. Uh, but then I'll download the actual lineups from some of the people that have like 126 uniques, and then I'll reference that target score probabilities, and they have a ton of lineups that I I don't are are negative EV are your are forty. Uh, uh, lineups that are absolutely unique. So this past slate, a lineup that has three of the 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 heaviest underdogs in the same lineup, one nine k fighter and one like two like like Volkov and and McCann, and it leaves like like twenty six hundred on the table. 
the the it's it, it is unique, but you could get lineups that are you are just as unique that have three times higher probability of hitting X score, which to me right. is the winning prob. Because I'm not count. I'm not. I mean, I'm just going by because I'm not simulating the contest. I'm just like, how often this 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 lineup scores 600 points, type of thing. And that's, I mean, that, that's the balance you're always trying to find, right? In these kind of contests, is you want to be unique, but you also want to have lineups that have a reasonable probability of winning. Right, but the so, problem, uh, but the problem comes in on some slates like this past one, where the li- the lineups that are like that, there are there there pretty much are none. And you see, and you see okay. that that the that the increased win win probability in quotes, if you want to call it, yep. that like on Saturday, I felt that it was a slate that I was focused more on finding lineups that were under five than being unique. Yeah, like it was because I'm looking and going as you, as you decrease your salary, you're you're. That the it's exponentially getting worse from a win probability perspective. So like, well, a lot of people like, and I'm in another Discord. They go, well, uh, balance builds are going to be, you know, so many people are going to do like the 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 common build is going to be two nine k guys, a main event fighter, and Shore Craig, something like that. Obviously, that lineup did great because every everything hit, Uh, but. So people are like, well, instead of doing that, I'm going to go balance. Instead of having to play, I don't want to play any of the the, the low low underdogs. Uh so I'm going to sacrifice a nine k fighter in order to play, you know, play McCann, Krylov, like play one of the nine k fighters, and then you know playing a Carolina, you know, and basically going mid range. And those lineups are like three times less likely to get the same amount of points and most likely have the same amount. Like you're, you're trading in one lineup that's duplicated four times and another lineup that's duplicated five times or six times, but has a three times higher likelihood of getting 600 points. Yeah. And I'm looking at that and it's like, and it's like on these types of slates and it's only because of the slate dynamic. So every slate will have a different dynamic like that on the slates that I love where the $9,400 fighter is a minus 200 favorite. It's only a 66% chance. Those are the slates where you can leave 3,000 on the table. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's probably, right. This was not the slate to leave salary on the table. Right. But a lot, but a lot of, a lot of quote, sharp players, wow, I got 120 uniques. And you see that a lot of their lineups are leaving 1,500, 2,000 on the table. And while they are unique, the win probability of them are, are so insanely low. And then, you have the also have the problem that this past late seventy percent of the time one of those underdogs win. Now, if one of those underdogs win, the most likely combination that that takes down something is going to be three is going to be three nine k fighters. The one underdog of the other two fighters that lost and a main event fighter. But the problem, and and all of those big underdogs were all underowned. Yeah. The problem is, I don't know which one of the five is the hell's going to win, right? Right. But I, I definitely percent of the time one of them wins. So I built a lot of lineups that were basically just mixing and matching. 
right? If I didn't have Tapuria in the lineup, I had Herbert in the lineup, right? If I didn't have right. uh, uh, Pavlovich, I had Abdurahimov. If I didn't, whoever was the opposite of one another. And then in the lineups where I didn't do that, where I played two 9K fighters, I didn't play the main event. I, I avoided, I had lineups that avoided the main event because that was going to be high, like a way to do that because I saw based on the win probability of the win, I call it win probability. Really, it's the probability of X score, and I just said it for 600. Right. It could be 620. It could be whatever you want to put in. Because uh, typically, you're aiming for 100 average out of each of your fighters. Yeah. Uh, and I found on that type of slate that most likely most of my lineups are going to be 49.5 plus and right. most likely most not unique. But if I could avoid massive trains or ma anything that that that's the that's the better middle ground between yeah. playing it's like just like in showdown right you play showdown you could play you could play a lineup in showdown that's 40,000 leaving 10k on the table you could you will be unique but depending on the context of a slate imagine imagine the the super bowl slate with two condensed offenses and you're like yeah. now nah, i'm going to leave 10k on the table like yeah. You know, the difference between that lineup and a 48-8 lineup that is duplicated 15 times is like, yeah, you're right. The other one is unique, but it's the other lineup is going to win more than 15 times more likely than right. that lineup that is projected for like 40 points below it, that it isn't worth it. You, you like the slates, Neil, I'm assuming in showdown where the offenses are not condensed, where there's, yeah. there's right. multiple, there's running back by committees there's yeah. four wide receivers and two tight ends that still get decent target shares you like that right. type of stuff those are my favorites yeah for sure right but it's but, a, it's the same concept oh yeah it's it's exactly the same concept um for me mma i just i don't really know what i'm doing and i'm i'm I, i'm kind of doing trial and error is sort of my my approach well that's why I, that's I what i did in the beginning yeah and now it seems like you're getting pretty advanced and it <laughs> What you're saying makes a lot of sense. I'm curious though. So you mentioned, you know, you looked at lineups that are leave 1,500 or more on the table have virtually no chance of winning. But did you look only at for only for that table? only for that slate for the for this particular slate? Right. Yeah. Um, but I would be curious on a slate like this. So I had, I think I set my cap at like 49,400. So like leaving 600 on the table. And I'd be see, I don't set a I cap. Was. See, I don't set a cap at all. Yeah, it, it's because I'm coming from an NFL showdown background where that's like. For me, I think the, the best way to get unique and still have good lineups in NFL. I mean, there are other ways to do it too, and there are other things that I. Right. I mean, you you could you could have played a lineup yesterday, and I mean, I did that had two of the bigger under. Like you could have played Jai Herbert and and uh, and who have Kazula Vargas. Yeah, they're both at single digit owned, and then right. still spend fifty k of your salary and and be and you you may have if you didn't have the main event in that lineup. That was a unique lineup. If you had the main event, maybe you yeah. got three dupes. I mean, like, and that spent fifty thousand or forty nine nine. So, like, yeah. by setting your max cap to something, you're like eliminating all of those lineups that typically are better lineups than the than the forty nine. And there are lineups that are at forty nine two that are duplicated thirty seven times. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, depending on you know the ownership of certain fighters. You can end up so in that we, situation also. Maybe this is maybe this is a sport where I need to be using the ownership cap, ownership sum cap. That, that but I, that I that that, that that's it's sneaky, not good. That's sneaky, okay. not good either. Because you get that in showdown, all you understand that that 
in showdown, you could play a lineup with a very high owner with a, a seemingly high ownership sum, but because you're leaving 2,800 on the table, the lineup ends up being unique or almost or like oh, duped under five. Because yeah. even though you add up all these people, it's just that, like, well, no one's leaving 2,200. Like they're paying up for the other guy instead. Yeah. So like you're you're removing those types of lineups, and it's very similar in MMA where where t- the the hardcore core uh the hard coding way of doing it is like this past slate going i don't want to play any lineups that have uh short like i uh, one person i know like i don't want to have any sure craig lineups right the two most owned underdogs i just won't make any lineups with both of them in it and i'm like well you could still make lineups with both of them in it and still be unique it's just that you can't have the main event. You can't have uh, the, the, the Pavlov. You can't have one of the forty percent owned nine K guys. You have to find it, and and there are ways to do it. So by hard coding yourself out, you're eliminating those types of lines. Even though in in the in, you look at the ownership sum, and you go, well, I'm playing Aspinall at fifty one percent, and I'm playing Short at forty six percent. I'm playing Craig at thirty five percent. Uh, yeah, but then you play uh, Amerikani at 17%. You play Elise Reed at 8%. And then, oh, all of a sudden, you're playing Mokhaev at 28%. And you're like, oh, I, I, I spent... <laughs> and it's a unique... It ends up being a unique lineup, even though the ownership sum, right. like, it looks like it's too high, but it, it, it really isn't. Right. Yeah, I'm just... I'm still struggling with the how to get unique in MMA, and I guess it sounds like your, your process is uh, pretty good, but it's also pretty advanced. It's not something that well, it's not that advanced. Can do. But I mean, uh, but the point, but the point I'm making is not getting unique. I'm actually refuting the point that if your your ultimate goal shouldn't be to judge your lineups by uniques. I agree, but your, your ultimate goal is to make the most positive EV lineups you can. Right. And when I say unique, I just mean I don't mean be the only one with it. I mean like under ten dupes, like. I, you're you're still trying to make lineups that are ten or fewer dupes. Like you're not trying to make any lineup that has fifty dupes, even if it has great probability of winning, unless it has like ninety percent plus chance right, of winning. Right, right. Maybe you can accept fifty dupes, but like right. And, general, I, and of course, I make those lineups all the time, and that's that's not on purpose. That's typically by accident. Right. Yeah, right. I think that's true. All of us, we make lineups that are more duped than we want them to be. But uh, no, but the point the yeah. point I'm making is that that in looking at because I, I like studying sharper players. So I'm like, I'm studying these 150 sets and intuitively I'm looking at certain slates going, leaving 2000 on the table doesn't seem to be like your win probability must be horrible with these line, like with these lineups, even though that's a way to get unique. And then you see some that leave max cat, like, oh, they didn't spend more than 49.5. And I'm like, well, they missed out on a bunch of lineups that I had that, were 49.7, 49.8, that were unique, that I had unique lineups that were above. So I'm like, so I'm looking through a lot of this stuff. And then when I'm running the target score probability, I'm seeing a lot of these, depending on the slate. Yeah. So on a slate like we just had, like spending all all your salary was was more beneficial than leaving it on the table. But there may be other slates like... Uh, like when I when I when I won with the uh, the main event fighter not in it, like like I said, because main event fighters tend to be over owned. They almost always right. are. Uh, the this past slate, 
We had a main event fight, 8,300 and 7,900. The before, the main event favorite was the highest price fighter on the entire slate at 90, like 9,600 or something. So it's like, yes, he wins nine out of 10 times. But how many players does he have to compete with with as far as the score is concerned? So let's right. say we have slates. Like, this is what I mean by slate dynamics. Let's say you have a, and we'll, we'll call, don't worry about the slate size because that matters also now also. A 12, a 12 fight slate where the main event fighter is the hot, like someone like that. But then like the 90, the other three 9K fighters have very high win odds, but poor inside the distance lines. So you'll see like a very high, typically it's a female fight. That'll be like, the woman will be a plus 325 inside the distance, but still be a $9,300 fighter. We had Miranda Maverick. That that was the, I mean, and I had her because she was still way under owned, even for those inside the distance odds. Uh, so they win a lot, but they just, a lot of times they just don't finish and score a lot. The, the thing is you have to compare those fighters to that main event fighter. So right. like if if a main event fighter is sitting sitting up there going to be 45 50% owned and there's three other 9k fighters that have ITD lines that are like 50% plus 105 minus 150 like the likelihood of one or two of these 9k fighters outscoring a five round decision winner in a main event is much higher than if those inside the distance lines were plus 200, plus plus 250. So it's like, yep. in those scenarios, you should be playing the main event, that main event five-rounder more often, and the the shorter odds, you should be playing them less often. A lot of times, especially in that range, you get inside the distance lines of plus 125 compared to the main event fighter. So on those, slate, on those slates, it's... It, I typically am, am much under on the main event favorite, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm perfectly fine uh, with being uh, at the field at least or playing the main event underdog only because the their win probability compared to other fighters in their range are isn't as high. So when I when I run that target score probability, like they they get there in a win more often than the other fighters even when they win because at least the underdog has five rounds to work with. Okay. Right, because they're typically the underdog has fairly poor inside the distance line, but much better decision win equity. So okay. that'll make up for, you know, like having a having a, an underdog, if it's a 9K $7,200 fight, the underdog is 7200 like if no one wins underneath them, or the, even if the seventy three, seventy four, seventy five hundred dollar fighter doesn't win, like that guy could win with an eighty two and be in the optimal lineup. It's like so, like do, do, how many how many points do I need? The favorite right. with eighty two points ain't going to be in the optimal lineup at nine thousand. So like, yep. so looking at those types of dynamics, what type of slate is it? I don't think, uh, at least from what I could tell from studying some players uh, have a much more blunt, I don't want to call it blunt, but a kind of like, this is how they play MMA. Mm-hmm. And they just play at like, like that every slate and are, are likely profitable over the course of, you know, 52 weeks or whatever like long period of time. But on a slate right. by slate level, 
I see that a lot of a lot of sharp players that are still profitable do not do not I don't see any evidence that I don't at least me. I don't want to call people out or anything. I don't mm-hmm. see any evidence that that many are simulating contests. Yeah. So I would I would think that if you could actually do a contest simulation like that th- th- these types of things would come out. Like these types right. of things where it's like, yeah, you, your lineup's unique, leaving 2,600 on the table, but it still ends up being negative EV, even right. though, and a lineup that is duped seven times is is higher EV because it wins more often. Like, I don't like, think that's, I don't think that's exclusive to MMA. I don't think that many people simulate lineups in general. Do you think that's, do you think I'm no, wrong? I th- no, I think, I mean, you had, you had Brian on high stakes, yeah, but right? Brian's, Brian's one of the few that I think does. I mean, no, I know Brian, I know Nerdy Tenor. Obviously, Alex, maybe Steve. But how many how many pros do you think are actually simulating lineups? I don't know, but I would think it's much easier to do an MMA than than in any other sport. Well, it sounds like it. I mean, you just kind of described why. Right. Well, that's why I said like it's, it's so binary. I would figure golf also like any yeah. any sport where the where the where the 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 players aren't correlated to each other and where finishing position like in golf is more indicative of of the total score than anything that happens in like how like oh you come in you come in third place most likely you got a ton of birdies i mean like right. it's it's not like oh, i came in third place and it was like the 28th highest score in golfer like that 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 probably isn't happening and it's very similar in mma where it's very correlated to you know to the betting lines right. and like i said the, the only flaw in my process is that I have no way of uh, simulating the fight, so I can only go by an aggregate mean projection and then adjust it, scale it from there. I don't know. It's not taking into account one person's a wrestler, one person's a striker. This part, like, it's not taking any. So that that's a that's a pretty major flaw from a preciseness perspective, right. but from a directionally accurate perspective, like at. The the flaws would only show on a very very on on the extreme outliers, like when like a Marab, like I don't know if you've been Davalishvili, uh, he's 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 he does he doesn't win inside the distance, but he still scores 140 points in three rounds because he has 14 takedowns and 11 minutes of control time. So like like those are the types of fighters where the inside the distance line is he he's 9300 and it's plus 300 inside the distance, and he's still going to be 48 to 52% owned. And according to those metrics, it'd be like, wow, he's wildly over-owned, but he's also the highest rejected fighter on the slate, and he's not even a main event. He's not even a five-round fighter. So it's like, but that's the main reason why I find that where that mean is, what's the middle number of all the projections? And then the further higher he gets more points. So it adjusts to the slate. So like if the... If the middle number is 55 on everyone's projection and someone is 85, that's 30 points, you know, in between. But there are some slates where the fights are so much closer or like the main event is is a slow heavyweight type of fight where the, the that person could be a 74, right? So, and because it's closer, that person isn't going to get it credited with as many points from bare base stats round by round. 
But guys that are like 110, it's like, dude, this guy finishes in the first round. I'm crediting him with like 132 points, right? And if he wins in if he wins in three rounds, I'm still crediting him with like 116 points because he's getting so many points per round based on his projection. Like, like that isn't the precise way of doing it, but all I'm saying is that like these types of slate dynamics exist in, in every sport. Sure. And that would come out in contest based simulations. I just, I have no capability of, I mean, I bear, I'm barely doing it in MMA. Yeah. But picture a correlated sport like baseball or hockey. <laughs> like I, 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 it, this does exist in other things. And I just, I don't get the sense outside of people that are running contest based simulations that, that, this is being captured by much of the field. Like, like since you mentioned that people, if people are setting max caps and stuff, like you would never, you would never do that if you're doing contest simulations. Cause there's no reason why you can't find lineups that are 49, nine, five, 50,000, especially, especially on a 15 fight slate with enough, enough options that like, that that's the blunt method. I'm 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 complaining. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that's the flaw in a blunt methodology. Yeah, I mean that's the, a blunt methodology doesn't work in any sport, as far as I know. Well, uh, we we use blunt methodologies. In what sense? I mean, you're not simulating anything. You're not. Oh, right. You're you're comparing okay. like projection versus ownership and estimating yeah, yeah. Okay. and like to me that's a blunt like using ownership sum or ownership product is a blunt methodology saying, I don't want a lineup that's an NBA on this slate. That's less than 280 unless it's 160% total. Like that's blunt. Sure. You're, not, you're, you're guessing on that. So I guess when, when I say blunt methodology, I mean uh, like setting an ownership sum cap at 140. I don't even know what the sum caps are, but like 140% and using that number for every slate is what it was, uh, is what I meant by Using a blunt methodology. Uh, blunt, uh, 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 that, that, I think that would be better, like a blunt strategy. Right, right. By right. saying no slate, no matter what, no matter what basketball slate it is, I don't want more than a two hundred and twenty percent ownership. No matter if it's a three game slate or a twelve game slate or this, yeah, that that, that would be awful to do. I follow. Okay. Right, yes, but I'm, I'm talking about a blunt methodology on a given slate of just like I'm just not like what you do in showdown. I'm just bluntly not going to play any lineup over forty nine thousand. Right. Like that, that still could be fine, but they're going to be, anytime you do anything bluntly, they're going to be gaps. Right. And you're willing, you're willing for the sake of ease or lack of being able to do it any better way, willing to sacrifice. I'm building 150 lineups. And I know with this blunt methodology, uh, I may end up with 20 lineups that are garbage, right? Right. I may not end up with the most precise set of, I may not end up with the best 150 but it's still a good 150. Right. Right. So it's the same thing with what I'm doing in MMA of like, yes, you'll, we'll find, you'll find 10 of my lineups that are duped like 87 times. Right. Yeah. I'm trading that off for being able to find like really good, unique lineups or really good under five dupe lineups. Because if I try to eliminate that bottom little half, I end up like not being able to find the ones that I want them. Then, then I end up with the lineup sets where I see someone has a hundred. I, I, I see every slate, someone with a uh, 150 lineups 
134 uniques or something like that. And I go, I go, how the hell did you get that many uniques? And then I take, and that, that's what allowed that. That's why I created this type of thing. Cause I kept on studying these players and I see these lineups and I go, well, here's a lineup with 3,200 left on the table. Here's a lineup with this left. Here's a lineup that, that has that, that the top range fighters, taking the, the three lowest owned ones with the like where their ownership sums are really low it, and then still it still makes you know 49 four in salary and I go okay well that's it, it's 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 possible but you're like you're you're fading like the six chalkiest players on the entire slate for good re- I mean and they're chalk for good reason and hoping they all fail. And it's like, what's the probability of them all? Because this is the type of line. I look at that lineup and go, if any piece of the chalk hits, you're going to be behind. Like, I don't think you could win this solo while any, like, you have like three 40 plus percent on guys and one 50 percent on guy. It's like, if two of these, if one or two of these things happen, this lineup is fucking dead in the yep. water. So how often does that happen? That's why I put together, like, what is the actual probability of that? And is it worth being unique? And then finding the lineups that are duplicated eight times and go, what's their win probability? And obviously, you don't make as much when they win, but is it worth right. playing the other lineups? And it, to me, at least, I've, I'm not finished. I'm not, this is just kind of bare basic going through that a lot a lot of these lineups that, that are, quote, unique, I don't know what their expected value is. I'm and hey, maybe they are positive expected value. In some regard, they win once enough that it's worth that's high variance, and maybe they win one every thirty years or something, and that's worth playing. Maybe, maybe they would be, you know, positive expected value in a millimaker, but when there's a hundred thousand up top, you need to win more frequently. So right, especially playing one hundred fifty lineups. Right. My guess is that you're right, that they're actually negative EV lineups. And my guess is that most of my lineups are negative EV. Because I had, I did really well in the dupes department this week, but I don't know how much, how much I really... I, I, I got to put you in then. I'll, 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 I'll take a look. Because obviously I didn't choose your set because... Because I don't win at MMA? Right. <laughs> how is the nice way of putting it? It's like, you freely admit that I'm not even sure what I'm doing in MMA. So, like, what am I going to study from uh, from from you? Like, I'm yeah, studying no, I'm from just... the from the from the people that like that play unique lineups, and like, like I'm studying from the Bryans. Right, right, right. What what is he what is he doing? What lineups does he come out with compared to mine? Look at exposures, look at ownership, and and go what types of lineups now from Brian's set. Brian said, "Seems at least to me that he's that he's doing contest simulations." Yeah, I, I would assume that he is. I'm trying to remember if we actually talked about that in that in the episode that we did on last week. Uh, I think yeah, I think he was talking about MMA and PGA. Yeah, I think that he, he does, he does, a four, does, 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 does he doesn't similar. even use fantasy country. He just does it straight from the simulator. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, that was a good. That was a good conversation. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a really interesting player because he is. Pretty unique. I was I was a little bit nervous about having him on. I told him this, I don't know, before or after the show that I was like, it, it might be a difficult conversation because I know that he is so like plays it close to the chest. He doesn't want to share. No, I, no, I think the more. opposite, Neil. Do you? I think I think out out, out of out of all of the, the the DFS community that is at least on podcast and I mean visible community. Yeah. I think he shares more than most. 
I mean, he does. Like, like I mean, I, I mentioned this on the podcast. Like, I've I feel like I've learned a lot from him. There's a certain like paths that he's not going to go down, which totally makes sense because he has a lot of you know proprietary stuff that only he has. Uh, so. Right, he's not doing. He he could say I'm doing contest simulations, but not explain how he's doing it. Right, right, right. Yeah. But but at least he it's the type of thing where it's like he's the type he's the type where he'll say you can do this, and this is how you would approach it. But yeah. that's where I, I draw the law, and now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do it for you. But at least you you know that there is a way to get this right, and there are many methodologies to get it this way. And they all have their pros and their cons, and they're and they're all based around inac other inaccurate data that's maybe that, that doesn't have the highest, you know, doesn't have one R value, right? It's still there's going to be variance involved, but the fact that he could he could say that oh this is how you'd build them up. you'd I mean he was talking about you know you know using you know covariates and seeing well this this with this like with the total points in an NBA game he was talking about it's like well if you just did this it would have no correlation but then if you did it per like this then it has very heavy correlation so you have to experiment with which which variables have different predictive power and and it's like but we know we we know plenty of sharp dfs players that would not never come close to even even talking in those terminologies they would just yeah. like yeah i have my own system and I, i'm not going to talk about it yeah, that's, I might overestimate how much he's not willing to share or overestimate how much other players are willing to share just because I've seen him shut down the conversation so many times because I watch him on LOL. So, like, I, I know that he's got, like, pretty strong stances of, like, yeah, I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, so maybe I overestimated uh, how much he was playing it close to the chest. And, and really, like, the question that I asked him or, or the question that I refrained from asking him, things like the variables you use in projections. Right, right. He won't, he won't answer that stuff. Else. Right. And nobody else will either. So, right. so yeah, I guess it kind of... So but, you know, but, but the fact to, to, to someone, like, especially the purpose of this podcast, it's, you know, the theory of daily fantasy sports. This is the game theory of playing DFS and playing DFS as a profitable player. Realistically... Is that we're not screenshots and YOLO and and you know the, the locks of the day type of crap. Uh just explaining on that that there are a lot of people that don't un, that have there's there's a I mean the majority of people that have not even attempted to even cross to this side of the of the river to know it's like, well, how is this how are these players really good? And it's like, well. Like, do you know how to do a linear regression? And they go, I don't even know what those words mean, right? It's like, so it's not so that to me, that's that that those are those are the three steps, and I think anything at step two is helpful to anyone at step one. So just the right. fact of like, like, oh, well, I don't know, I don't know how to how to how to build my own model or do any form of regression. It's like just understanding that that exists and that's what sharp players do allows the people from step one to at least come into step two and go, right. Oh, it's what more than just more. picking players, right? Like, like, Oh, there's right, a, right. there's a way these numbers that I see in a projection model actually mean something. How, how do they, how do they get to this and what concepts apply? Maybe they don't, they're not, they never are able to actually do it themselves, but at least it gets them into the mindset of like what I explained with with the MMA slates of like every slate dynamic is going to be different, and why is that different? And what are the variables, you know, in the slate that if it's a short slate versus a large slate, like you see in in baseball, 
where, you know, we'll, we'll get into baseball and uh, people start asking about stacking. It's like, do you have to stack? And I go, I go, more likely than not. So there's no such thing as yes or no, obviously. But the larger the slate, the more you should stack. And that's a lot of times is counterintuitive to how a lot of people think. They go, this is how they think. Uh, this is at least from what I come, I've come across. And this will be my, what, fourth season, third or fourth season at Roto-Grinders for MLB. So I get I get all the questions. So like I know what questions get asked 8 million times. People look at a three-game slate in baseball and go, well, I'm going to play for one of the games to go nuts and the other two are, you know, one nothing games, right? right. So I'm going to pick what the one, like, like do something like that. And that's thinking too, I don't want to call it linearly, but too, too short-sighted of, right. you're not thinking probabilistically. Like, on a three-game slate, yet it's most it's more likely that no team scores more than six runs. Yeah. Right? So no stuff. So if you stack five on DraftKings, it's quite possible on a three-game slate, no five-man stack is worth playing. That it would have been right. better for you to play three, two, so two. You and, you and I are on the same page here. That was that was uh, an interesting and, and not the exact same thing, but I had this conversation with uh, Peter Viles, a hub bro, mm-hmm. and I think he said, and he also may have misspoke and he, he was on the spot, so I don't know. But he, I believe, he said he will only do a secondary stack on a short slate. He said, maybe yeah, on a short slate, I think I might do a secondary stack sometimes. It's also far from baseball season. so. And I was like, oh, I think I, those are the slates where I don't set any kind of secondary stack. Like I do a, a short primary stack and then don't do a secondary stack on like a two-game slate or like a right. three-game slate. Um, so I, I feel like he said the opposite, but maybe I misunderstood him. No, um, I think uh, I think we've said the same thing. I listen to that. Okay. Yeah. No, because on the on the on the short slates, well, because what ends up, but the con the the thing is understanding the concept of it's a three game slate. I'm using a three games. It's better than two games. Those are tough. Yeah. Right. It's just chaos. Right. And you're gonna have that's either way on a two game slate. Right. So a three or four game slate, where people are gonna go. I'm gonna play five on DraftKings. Right. They do five one 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 or five three or whatever. Whatever. They just go five and whatever. And uh, the problem is, is that because there's only four games, the like you have to think in terms of how likely is one of these teams going to put up so many more runs than anyone else on the slate, right? right. So there's only eight teams, right? So compared to a 15-game slate with 30 teams, there's a much higher likelihood that I don't know who it's going to be. Most likely, the teams with the higher team totals, right? Obviously, but we we got we got thirty chances. They're not even chances, but thirty chances for one team to just put up eighteen runs, right? Right to put up something that's so far above everyone else that it's more likely to happen on a fifteen game slate because there's fifteen games on a three game slate. It could be three to one, four to two, and five to three, and five man stacks aren't gonna aren't gonna come in. I mean they could, but yeah. the, the also the thing is is that. On smaller slates, people are more likely to stack. So you run into you run into not maybe not pure on a four game slate. You may not run into that many pure dupes. You may run into some like like fives or something or less. You probably don't run into a you know a seventy eight way dupe type of lineup. But right. you're gonna have very similar combination. Like if you stack this team th- this way, 
There's only so many combinations of this pitcher and that thing. Like, and people don't play the pitcher against the other the one of their one-offs. So you're really you're limiting the combination of lineups that are possible because so many of the rest of the field, very similar to what we talked about with MMA, not understanding the slate dynamic and going, I have a one-size-fits-all approach to baseball. I always you have I have people that I've talked to that's like I just play five three every slate, right? Just on DraftKings right. five three or on FanDuel they play four four every slate right. no matter what. Don't have to said you doesn't matter if it's a three game slate or a thirteen like nope right. doesn't matter. said it doesn't matter if we have the pricing of the pitchers right if we have high end pitchers versus low we have the slates where the all the fourth starters are playing. And it's like, is anyone worth real? Is any pitcher really worth nine thousand on the slate? Like, you don't, you don't take any of that into account. Nope. I said, that's that's the problem. It's like maybe you still can generate a profit on average over the course of two hundred slates, but there are definitely going to be, you know, a good twenty twenty five percent of the slates that you play that you're seriously playing in an unprofitable way, and you're just hoping that that the other make up for it. You know, like, oh, this all works. Like, they have a process that works great on 12-plus game slates, but don't work on three-game slates. And there are people that do the opposite. Some some have the approach where, oh, I do great on three-game slates, but those 12-game slates, horrible, right? Yeah. And typically, it's the, the, the strategy that they have and the process they have are really optimal for those. They don't understand it's not because they're good or bad at a certain slate type. They just happen to be good or bad because their approach of what they think how to play MLB DFS or how to play NBA DFS or whatever yeah. happens to be like the MMA, the same thing that that and that's why it came back to the whole, you know, oh, you got to you got to build for uniques. It's like it's not all about that. And because you could say the same for showdown of like, like, dude, if you want to throw in a $200 captain and three reserve players. You're going to be unique, but that lineup Which is what I did in the, uh, the the Dallas Cowboys game when we were all expecting the starters to sit after like the first quarter or second quarter. Mm-hmm. I put like a cap of forty thousand or something on, and I was somebody I, I got uh, some praise for being all my lineups being unique. Uh, and then of course the they didn't sit their starters, and my I was like I didn't make a single cent on that slate. <laughs> so I, you can see what happens when you when you make those wrong decisions. Right, but I mean you but you were doing that not because it's like oh I need to play right, all the right, guys yeah. that are only going to get I don't one snap. Do that. Yeah. Right, you, yeah. you're expecting these guy these guys these two hundred dollar guys to actually play three quarters of football. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right, you're not like no these guys that the sixth wide receiver may only get eight snaps and maybe gets a like. And I want right. to play eight, six of them. You're not thinking that way. You're you're just no, assuming no. that the starters aren't playing. Yeah. Yes. But the result shows what happens when you do that. Right. Which was you lose all your money. Right. But also on the showdown slates, we also have the, the instances where there there are, are like two two or three high price guys that are out. Mm-hmm. And then then it's like it's almost impossible to build a non dupe lineup that spends like. Like, like over forty eight thousand, right? Only because that, like, it, like you literally could play any. You could play like you could take the six. Whenever you could take the six highest priced guys and make a lineup with the highest priced guy at captain, and then the next five highest priced guys in your flex. Yeah, you know that that lineup is going to be duplicated possibly twenty six hundred times. Yep. Right. I mean, like then you get those massive dupe things, but. And though for that slate dynamic, I can understand setting a cap, but you're setting a cap. What 
you technically should be doing is running the lineups and seeing where that line is. So you you understand right, right. what I'm saying, like where you where you lose too much projection, or what do you mean? No, no, where 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 you're not getting you're, you're, where there there are too many dupes. So so for instance, instead of using the blunt like the blunt way would be like you look at the slate and go, uh, I'm not playing any lineup that's that's uh, that's it's over forty seven thousand, right? And showed it for that that type of slate where you essentially can play anyone. It's like, well, how many dupes are those lineups? I mean, like. Like, what is the line? We've, we've created the line that in that type of slate, it's most probable that any lineup that's 49K or above is way too massively duped, most likely. Yep. But maybe there are lineups that are 42. Maybe there's a 49-2 lineup that is, I mean, without knowing the exact slate of, you know, the players and everything, maybe there is. So, like, finding where that is instead of just in your head going, I'm just leaving. I'm just leaving five thousand on the table, at least, and doing like that. From a blunt way, makes sense. But you, there may be a lineup at forty-five-four that's unique. There may be a lot that it's just. Well, you're playing this guy instead of that guy, and this guy's three percent owned, and you're playing a kicker against the defense or a quarterback, like a, a not a, an anti-correlative, a, you know, a negatively correlated pairing, and it just so happens that. That don't, that's duped under five times, but it's still over your threshold of either ownership sum or or salary. That like what like what I'm doing in MMA is more likely just build all the build all the goddamn lineups, right? That are that are possible, yep. and then just and 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 see what 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 that is. Because do you you know how many times I get asked like how much how much money should we leave on the table? in showdown or in MMA. And I go, yeah, if you want to get the most amount of plus EV lineups, probably, probably leave X amount on the table, but you're, you're probably going to be missing out on There's probably they, on some MMA slates. If you're like, Oh, I'm only going to spend 49 K. It's like, dude, you've just eliminated like 2000 plus EV lineups. Right. Out of your, out of your set. Like you'd still find 150, I guess, but the, now you're getting to higher variance lineups also. So your swings could be even more, dramatic uh yeah i just i just don't think like thinking like that is not it i i'd rather know and then do something bluntly for efficiency purposes like so like to from to me i think you're more like that like right. you understand the concept of what i'm talking about but it's like right. i don't mind having 20 of my line was being shit right right Right, knowing that if I just set a salary cap and an ownership cap and run 150 or whatever and do whatever, make my little adjustments or correlations or groups or whatever the hell you want to do, you're perfectly fine. I think I, I think I got I think I got 100 to 120 good lineups and about 30 of them may I may throw in the garbage, but I did it all in eight minutes rather right. than yeah. having to now spend a time building something myself in order to run everything in order to tell me what 20 or 30 yard good. Right. Exactly. It's a, that's a big difference. I'm efficiency. Yep. And Brian, Brian talked about it on the podcast as far as projections are concerned. Right. Doing his own projections versus using the industry strand standard and deciding those are good enough. Right. Right. Which was a surprise for me to hear because like you mentioned on the show, like two years ago on lulls, 
He was flabbergasted that not everyone right. was building their own projections. <laughs> yeah. I think he said he, he maybe still doesn't – he doesn't golf and in some other sports uh, where – I guess it's probably golf and MMA, probably the ones right. that he stimulates out. Um, but, yeah, in general, he's, he's using the industry standard, which I, I've said many times. Like I, I used to think – we've talked about this. I, I used to think like if I had the time, I would do my own projections. Like I think I could figure out how to do it and I could figure out how to do it well. And then by the time I got to that point where I was able to quit my job and I've got all the time in the world now, I'm like – not going to waste my time doing my own projections. And what are the odds are even going to be better than the projections that I get from Osmo anyway? So, so I don't bother. Right. Well, that's exactly the reason why I don't either. That's like, I'd, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm going to use Cardi's bat projections. Am I going to get better than Cardi at doing this stuff? No, he's been doing it for God knows how long. And the right. stuff that he does, I, I, I wouldn't need, I don't know how long it's going to take for me to learn how to pull right. it all. And then, then a lot of it is just maintaining the data. And you could you could fuck yeah. that up easy. I mean, just you could oh, yeah. fuck maintaining the data up. It's like I have everything good, and then you fuck up the the maintenance, and now your projections are spitting out shit where it's like, like, why 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 am I why am I projecting the the the, the third center on a team for thirty seven points? Like, how did that happen? Right, and some line error, some comma is missing, and everything gets fucked up. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I don't risk that because I just use other people's projections. I guess they could potentially fuck it up, but I, I think they probably have more eyes on it. So not as big of a worry. Right. And typically if you see something fucked up, someone has pointed it out. Yeah, right. It's right. like, you know, why is this guy, you know, why does this guy have a ceiling of of uh, 170 points in NBA? Like that's probably that's probably an error. It's probably not that an acceptable part of the range of outcomes. Uh, what are, uh, There were some other things that Brian talked about that, that uh, maybe I had an opinion on. There's something early, early in the podcast. I forgot about it. Oh man, we, we, it was a long conversation. So now I'm, and I actually, I have not re-listened to it yet. I usually do eventually re-listen to my old podcast, especially of these ones that I'm hosting. Uh, I go back and, and listen to, you know, figure out where I can improve. Uh, I have not done that for this episode yet. So it was all, uh, I'm trying to remember what I, I know he was talking about, uh, uh, he was calling it game theory, optimal, the balance versus exploitative, Right, right. Stuff, like with because yeah. he was he was listening to nerdy tenor and he and and he said he's going more trying to go more towards that side right. oh no no uh, what 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 we were what what I wanted to talk about uh he was talking about the 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 correlation between uh player projections and ownership from a from a given source right because that's which, the one that's the one thing about. that I feel very strongly. You feel strongly that the ownership projections are very much influenced by the project, the point projections from a given site. So yes. like the awesome ownership projections, which I, I believe you, like, I, I'm sure that that is a factor, but I just, I feel like I've, I've come across, like, I just do like a dummy crunch of like 50 lineups and it'll be, I'll get a ton of a player who they only project for five or 10% ownership. So then I'm. Well, that that's because of salary and positional constraints. So it's not it's not an it's not an ownership thing. It's a constraint thing based on the now that you see that a lot. Uh, like like and I I I always use Dorian Finney Smith as the example. Yep. Small forward is a shit position a lot of nights, and you'll have you'll have Dorian Finney Smith projected for twenty eight, right? But then you'll also have DeAndre Hunter. I'm just throwing out 4K small forwards. And if 
my projections have Dorian Finney-Smith two points higher than the next small forward. I'm going to get a ton of Dorian Finney-Smith. He's not going to be 40% owned, right? He's, he, his, his ownership projection is 12, right? So I'm on the projection source, right? I'm on Roto-Grinders using the Roto-Grinders projections. It's telling me Dorian Finney-Smith is going to be 12% projected owned, yet I'm getting 45% of him in my builds because it's jamming in two studs and it's trying to get the highest median projection and it needs a small forward that is around four, four to five K. And that's the more optimal median build. And Dorian Finney Smith just happens to project one and a half points higher. Now on also more projections, maybe Dorian Finney Smith is projected for one or two less minutes and Deandre Hunter's projected for two more minutes. So now Hunter's two points higher than Dorian Finney Smith. Osimo has him projected for 14% ownership and you're getting 44% of them. And it's like, well, he's not, I don't see how he's going to be 14%. It's like, yeah, because, because uh, there's another small forward there. All these small forwards in that range are going to be somewhere between eight to 14% owned. And maybe depending on projections around the industry, one gets skewed slightly higher or whatever, but it's not going to, no one's, it's not going to be 40% owned. The only reason the ownership exists there is because the position in and of itself is weak and the salary makes sense based on well you when you have we'll have we'll have slates where uh three guards right three point guards are out and we have three 4k guards that are walking into 36 minutes right so who's filling up your point guard spot your shooting guard spot and your guard spot those three guards which means that the ownership of high-end power forwards is going to be much higher, and and Embiid is going to be owned, and all that type of stuff. And now, if based on that construction, you may need a more efficiently projected player, efficiently owned player in that type of build, and that's going to come to between projection sources. The plus-minus of that could be up to four points, right? Okay. So, like in that range, past like the the top end of the obviously good value plays, right? You know, when, you know, so-and-so is out and this guy projects for God, 700 points at 4K, like you don't have to worry about those, those guys. It's in the mid range where it's like, where if you took, if you went plus or minus one or two point, one or two minutes for any of these, for a set of six players could change the order one to six and different sites will have different, Okay. But the difference between those six players isn't that dramatic where one should be 40% owned and the next one should be right. 6% owned. They're going to be like, one's going to be 14, one's going to be 10. So that's what's in like Osimo's ownership. So like, right, like but, so it, it weights it a little bit based on, right. based on the projections. But you're saying it's a difference between like, you know, eight to 14%. So there's still a lot more going into it than just their projections. No, that that's correct. But the, that's only due to the, the the constraints of the problem. So the higher projected. So for instance, Dor- we'll use Dorian Finney-Smith as the, as the example. If in that example with the small forwards, we have six small forwards, virtually identical. We have three other sources that have them all projected within two points of each other. So one to six is within two points, which basically makes them almost about even. You're going to get the guy that's the higher projected more than the other guys as you go down the list. 
let's say Rota Grinders has Dorian Finney-Smith playing 38 minutes and gives them a little bit more usage. And now Dorian Finney-Smith is now seven points higher than any of the other five players below him. Well, in that case, yeah, he should be 40% on compared to the other guys at eight, six or 8%. So as he further separates from, from that pack, the ownership will go up based on that. So if I look at Osimo, and let's say he, they have, he has Dorian Finney-Smith at five points higher than the, the bunch, while Roto-Grinders only has him two points higher than the bunch. Well, Osimo is going to show Dorian Finney-Smith is like 28, 32% owned. Roto-Grinders is going to show it 14% owned, mm-hmm. right? And that's a very big gap. But it's yep. only because uh, now when, it's not a one-point difference. It's now a four-point difference or a five-point difference or something like that. That's all how the projections affect the ownership. And then if I go around, if I go around the ind- like there, there are a lot of times that uh, our projections at Roto Grinders are a bit of an outlier with uh, on a given player or a team. But you see that in ETR. I'll go to ETR and they'll they'll have one guy projected like six points higher than like Osimo or Roto grinders. And yeah, that's why ETR has this guy 30, 38% owned. And I go, he's not going to be 38% owned. He'll be maybe, maybe 20, maybe. Cause I look at all the other sources and it's like, no, he's about efficiently. He's about, he's not that great of a value, but if you're, if you're playing cash games, you better play that ETR optimal is going to have that guy in it. Like, that's what what I mean. The ownership is it's 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 and the projections have to go side by side. But in the midst of a fifty k lineup with certain positional constraints, so that's what I mean by I'll go to I'll go to Osimo and check check the ownership versus the projections and go is the ownership off because of a projection difference or because the ownership wasn't calculated correctly? It's not. For Osimo, it's not it's, for none of these sites. It's not because the ownership was calculated incorrectly. the The only other factor that I could see is 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 the projection. It's just like when when one because there 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 are tons of times in the past at least, uh, and you'll you'll see that you'll see this if you if you subscribe to like one site, you'll see this happen often enough. Right? I'm assuming you've probably seen in the Osimo Slack, right? Someone will someone will uh, post in the whatever NBA channel or something. I'm not in there. I don't know. Uh, some guy will be 32 percent owned on an NBA slate, and you guys had him projected for like six percent ownership, and at, at at a fairly low projection, right? And people will go, "Why the hell is this guy 32 percent owned?" Right. Right. Well, on your uh, if that if that happens, it has to be. Because you're the outlier, not the field. That you may be the right. It's not a matter of being correct or incorrect. Maybe you you projected them correctly from a player projection, but the rest of the industry didn't. Right. But that doesn't matter when it comes to ownership. So, like the projections and the ownership have to have correlation to one another. That if you're utilizing the same and not changing anything, like I I. How are you not running into a redundancy problem? Sure. Yeah, no, I get it. So I agree with you for sure that there is correlation. I guess I maybe I've misunderstood what you said in the past, which is that it's – I've understood you to say that it's basically wholly based on 
their projections. So like the Oslo ownership projections are completely well. It's the number. It's the, own, it's the top. It's the most predictive variable. It's the top variable. Okay. All right. But obviously, you can't jam in the seventy k worth of salary. You can't play seven centers on a slate. So like the ownership, all the if on on a FanDuel, for instance. All of the center ownership, but now there's multiple position eligibility, but in the past, right. right, when you could only play one center, the total amount of center ownership could be 100%. That's the, the, they can't yeah. be any more than that, right? So you could have, we have six centers today that are projected for 7 million points, but you could only play one. So like, it's not, so it's not going to be, well, this one is 7 million and one. So he's going to be 99% owned. Like, no, they're all going to be owned. And it's probably going to be, if you had five centers projected for 7 million points, they're probably going to be owned around 20% each, right? 19% each. Some people will try to get contrarian and play one of the not five of those guys and, and, and whatever. But like, but according to the rest of the players on the slate, if you didn't look at position, you'd be like, well, I want to play all five of these guys, but you, but you can't because they're only eligible at one position. If they're on, on DraftKings, if, if, if you have, uh, you know, uh, four point guards, right? They're point guard only, right? You can't play all four. You can only play three at the max on DraftKings, right? You can only play two on FanDuel. So there's, so the ownership has to come down, even though the values look good. And you, you wonder, well, this guy does. Then you look, you look at all, you look at the five seven million point centers, and they're all twenty percent owned. And then you look at Dorian Finney-Smith, and he's projected to be forty percent owned. And you go, but Dorian Finney-Smith doesn't even, it's like, he's okay. It's like, yeah, because small forward sucks. And he's right. the best small forward by two points more than, so like, obviously that, but that affects all ownership percentages around the entire industry. But once you take that away, then if, 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 if Osimo, for instance, uh, has this 10K studs projected low, Obviously, the ownership of cheaper players is going to be down, yep. right? Because it's not as valuable to plug in Durant and LeBron and da and Luca, right? Because they're you know we we our Roto Grinders has Luca at fifty eight and you guys have him at fifty two. We have Durant at fifty six and you have him at forty eight. So it's like those extra points. It makes it worth it to throw in some. $3,500 player in or 4k player in. So our ownership would look like, well, because you're jamming in Durant and Luca, well, these cheaper small forwards and power forwards or whatever are going to be more owned. But on awesome. let's say you take six points away from those studs. Then it's like, well, those cheaper, those 4k players that road grinders have at 14% owned, you have at 4% owned but you also have like Kevin Durant at 14% owned and not 30% owned. And you have more of the 6K, 7K guys, right? Now, next thing you know, you have Jalen Brown at 20% owned while on Rotogrinds, we have him at 8% owned. Right. But still that adjustment for the constraints still is, is still all based on the projections because that's what's, what's going to lead the way because the projections okay. across Awesome. Oh, ETR, Roto Grinders are going to at least drive that to some extent. How much? I mean, that you kind of have to fi you, you figure that out. But but that's what that's what I mean. So if you just solely go by, unless there's a way to adjust for that, unless unless I'm unless I'm unless 
unless they're doing right. something that I don't see it. I mean, maybe, I, I don't know if they're looking at the other sites. Like, like I know you do. You look at multiple sites to kind of figure out ownership. Uh, theoretically, the sites could do that too. Like, there's no reason. Yeah, but they're, they're, I can tell you, I can tell you, they're not. Okay. Because it, it wouldn't make some of these things wouldn't make any sense otherwise. Okay. Because I, I look uh, pr- primarily across three sites, which is Roto Grinders, ETR, and Osmo, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of times that the, the the ownerships on some players are dramatically different. Dramatically enough different, where uh, where where Roto Grinders we have someone at at twenty two percent, ETR has them at forty percent, and Osmo has them at eighteen. I go, but it, you know the reason why? Because ETR have them three points higher projected, right? I mean that, and that it always comes down to something like that. And then in combination with someone else that fills a different position, that they have three points higher projected, also, right? It's always it's not just one thing; it's always some type of construction thing that causes different players to now, based on that. So if you're off on one projection, if we go head into a slate, if you put Dorian Finney Smith on a weak small forward slate and just decide to give him a hundred point projection. Like he's going to be in all of your lineups mm-hmm. and he's going to fill that small forward only position or something, whatever, whatever it is. And then everything else is going to adjust to it. If you put Dorian Finney Smith's projection at zero, the ownership of all the other positions changes now, now also. Right. Right. So like, so Getting the more that that a projection is an outlier compared to the rest, the more the ownership projections ha- they they have to be off, right? Based on that, but so that's what the like what Neil you mentioned that that's why I look at the sites. That's exactly what I'm trying to estimate when I yeah. change ownership in my I change for all the players that are in my pool by going and and looking and going. Not just look. I can aggregate them together, but that's not real. That's that. That's a blunt way of doing it. But it's more the fact of like, well, what? Where are the outliers, and how do the outliers affect everything? I see like one side has this guy six points higher. Per, I, there was one slate last week that ETR had Jonas Valanciunas like six points higher than like everyone else. Okay, and they had him at like thirty six percent owned, and like we had him at six percent owned. Right, everyone was paying down at center on that slate, and I didn't get. But so I look, and I can't aggregate the ETR project, the ownership projections based on that, because how much? Yes, I'm going to bump up Valanciunas because people still look at those projections and still may use an aggregate. So I know he's not going to be six percent owned. Maybe it'll be ten percent owned. Maybe it'll be twelve percent owned, or something like that. But now I have to use that to if he's going to be if I have to bump him up six points. How does that affect all the other players? In in if you're playing Yolan Valanciunas more, that means the cheaper centers, I have to move down two points in ownership, right? right. And that means the 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 high priced guard, I have to move down two points because it's money that that's why you're playing a cheap center so you can pay up for two guards, right? So you have to move all that. If I just said, well, I'm just going to move Valanciunas from six to twelve, well. How does that affect the constraints of everything else in your lineup? So, right. I, I, this, this is a long-winded way of, like, me, me, like, I don't want to say winning the argument of 
if if you if a site has a has a player projection off and it could be that they're right. I'm not saying off as a bad word, right? That is significantly different than everyone else. Their ownership projections are almost have to be different than everyone else unless they somehow are utilizing everyone else's site's projections right to make so that what, ownership what which I don't find is, I don't see that happening. You're saying that it is the weightiest variable essentially yes. in, in ownership projection. Yes, it's the correct. projection. You're not saying that it's 100% correlative cuz obviously there are players that like if I just put them into run a crunch with 150 lineups occasionally Somewhat frequently, I'll get a player that I get 100% of uh, based on the projections of all of their players in the pool, and they're not going to project that player for 100% ownership. So there are other factors that go into an ownership projection, the, the, the ownership projections that these sites are doing. You just think that this one is the highest weight. Right. They, they weight their projections. Okay. Right. I, I can accept that. Right. I don't disagree with that. Right, which is why I say it's a flaw that it's at least somewhat of a flaw to only use player projections and ownership from from one side from one, one side, course. right? Okay, right. That's yeah. that. But of course, I'm talking. I'm I'm biased because I'm talking from someone that comes from that approach, where the ownership number is almost more important to me than the than the player projection number. Yeah, I mean, I, I come from that approach too. So right. <laughs> so maybe I should be looking at more than one ownership, more than one site for ownership projections. But and also, I think we're going to see in baseball this year. Because uh, I noticed it last year. Uh, you're going to have to build, at least in your mind, some type of anti-competitive uh, mentality into your process. I, I noticed l- last year, especially come June, July, I mean, maybe not in the very beginning. Because uh, this happens in every sport. But, I mean, it's m- much more evident in baseball. Uh People look at stuff like the top stacks tool. I remember you saying that in an interview last year, that it was coming, everybody was using it. So it was kind of, everybody was playing the top leverage stacks by the end of the season. So, yeah. Right. You'd you'd get, you'd enter a slate and it'd be like, oh, it looks like, uh, looks like the Dodgers are under owned. And then they come in, they literally come in efficiently owned. Like, oh, they're going to be 5% owned as a stack. And they come in at 13%. It's like, why did I play a ton of this? Yeah. Because everyone's looking at the same, same fucking thing. And that, right. that could explain my season last year because I had a really strong April, May, June, July, and then petered out in August, September. I was I, I did terribly in it, and that's probably just variance, but that could also explain it. If it's everybody else is looking at the same stuff that I've been using all season, uh, the the field is adjusted, and now I'm just doing the same thing as the field, and you know, not really setting myself up to win as well as I was early in the year. It was just like I would use the top stacks and, you know, that, that was the tool that I was using every day. Uh, and I had a lot of success with it early in the season. And by the end of the year, it was like the last two months were just terrible for me. So. Yeah. I remember one sense. slate last season where I think it, it was a, it was a slate with the Braves. Cause I remember it so distinctly that the Braves were like uh, projected across the industry. So it wasn't just awesome. Mm-hmm. As like, like 9% owned or something like that. And they were like on Awesome they were literally the top stack. Like they were the most probable stack at like 17% win probability. And then on Slate IQ and Roto Grinders, they were like the third in win probability, but the highest leverage stack, even at nine. And they it was like 8.8%. Like you go across the you look across and it's like everyone is rejected 
the Braves at this ownership and it being the highest win probability under own team. And then I, it locks at there, that seven, 10 game it locks and Ronald Acuna is like 27% owned. Freddie Freeman's 23. Ozzy Albies is 21. I'm like, what the fuck? And they literally were the, the shock of the entire slate by far. I mean like mega chalk. Like they were overowned. They went from being the highest leverage stack to being the lowest leverage stack in the course of like a lock hit. And I'm, I, 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 I said, I said, well, why, why did this? It has. That's the only reasoning behind it. So then, from that day forward, I always had to like weigh in anti-competitive. If something yeah. looks too, it, it's almost like if something looks too good to be true, it probably isn't going to be as true as you think. Right. But I felt like early on, I, I was having a lot of success using the, the top stacks tool and, and using the leverage in creating my stacks. And as long as you get the leverage, I mean, but that's the main yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So early on, it was it was working out well. Maybe hopefully they'll adjust to no. There's no real way. How do you adjust to knowing that everybody else is going to adjust what they're doing based on what you say? Ask ask Nerdy Tenor. He knows how to do it. Yeah, that's true. Nerdy Tenor might be able to do it. Well, his algorithm knows how to do it. Yeah, that was the most interesting to me. I I still think uh, that was the best episode of this podcast. It it's long, really three hours or so. Yeah. Uh, it defeated my record as the longest guest for you, right? At the time, yeah. But when he was talking about building the anti-competitive stuff in, into into his into his algorithm, I'm like that that not now 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 because that was the main thing that that because he doesn't make his own proje- of any projections or anything. He's just like I'm just going to shove all these numbers in and let the let the algorithm tell me yeah. what are the best lineups and 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 then they compete against one another. So it's like it can't. It can't try. It's trying to the the lineups are trying to exploit each other inside of this, and then he gets he gets X amount, and then he takes one fifty or whatever. He starts eliminating and crunching them down. Like conceptually, I understand. I understand what he's doing. Right. I could possibly. I can't possibly do that. Which is another thing that that Brian and I talked about. Was I was like, yeah. You're, you're afraid of giving away this stuff. And I'm like, nobody else is going to be able to do what you're doing anyway. Like, even if we understand what you're saying, I don't know how to do what you're doing. And as he said, well, we're not the guys that he's worried about. He's worried about the nerdy tenors who could listen to what he's saying and say, oh, that makes sense. I know how to do that. I'm going to build I'm going to build that out. Right. He, he, he doesn't want to create monsters. Yep. Right. He that, says. I, 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 but I mean, he mentioned my belief of that. There that you don't uh, you vastly underestimate how many stupid people there are, right? Right. Yeah. Vastly underestimate. Yeah, but that that is also a difference in the stakes that he plays at. So if you create one monster in a field of a hundred, that's a bigger deal than in a field of thirty thousand entries. Right. But he's right. still you know I mean I'd rather not create more one fifty maxers to. Right, right, to eat right. up plus EV lineups in a contest, of course not. But I, I still, I still go by the fact. Well, I think, I think the diff. I, truthfully, I think the difference between Brian and I, I, this is this is weird to say. I one hundred percent agree with Brian. Even though I'm arguing from the other side, the difference is is that I'm uh, compensating. For that, through doing this, right. So, like, so what am I doing here? <laughs> well, you know, you're at awesome. Like, like, yeah, yeah. so, so the explanation is like Brian's like, I don't want to give 
any as much away because I don't want to create less of an edge for me in the contests, which I agree with completely. I, when I was at the poker table, I would never teach at the table. I don't discuss strategy at the table. I don't want to give any. I want to look like the fucking schmuck like everyone else is, right? And I'm getting lucky or something, right? Uh, off the table, sure, you know, whatever. Uh, the thing is, is that, like, I'm 100% transparent. I have to call myself, I pro I'm 99% transparent. Because obviously the MMA stuff, I can't, I, but people are like, oh, how do you get to your rating number? It's like, you could, if I gave you those numbers, you'd be able to make just, it has nothing to do with even if I'm right or wrong, you just end up getting to a lot of, I'd end up with duplicates now right. that I didn't think were going to be duplicates. And even if your numbers are, are, and I'll post my like rankings, like here's the, all the ratings, but not the ratings, just the, the order of which they're in yep. just, and people will compare and go like, yeah, based on my calculation, this guy's over-owned, this guy's under-owned. Like, yeah, we're both on like kind of the same page. But if I gave you the exact number, you just plug that fucking thing into lineup HQ. Yeah. And I'd, I'd end up with, I'd, I'd, instead of me having 70 uniques, I'll only have 10 uniques, right? right? I'll, I'll only have another unique, you know, it would be two or three, so it's not horrible. But like, there's a reason I, I don't want to give out the exact numbers. But everything else, I don't mind sharing. But the only difference is I'm getting paid for doing so. Yeah. Right. So like, like from a monetization method of like, okay, I'm going to be giving away an edge, but I'm also charging $125 for a course. I'm also getting paid to do a daily show on Roto Grinders. I do, you know, other work for Roto Grind. I mean, like, like, so that edge that I'm losing, whatever, am I, am I, am I getting it back or more from that? I mean, I, I enjoy being transparent. I enjoy teaching. So, I mean, yeah. but Brian, like, like what, what is, what is the monetization method of lulls? Like I nothing. Know, yeah. It doesn't seem like, it seems like, seems like lulls. Yeah. I mean, they can still, I still, I still, I, I have a, I have a Jersey. I have a lulls Jersey. Yeah, that's right. Forgot about that. Right. Pete, Pete has one. I, I might as well send this to Brian because I'm never going to wear this. <laughs> he won't either. Maybe you will, because it's uh, it's. But at least pocket. it's not, at least it's something that has to do with their show or something. Yeah, yeah. I sent you one that I right. I I made I made one as a joke after he, his whole uh, spiel about he doesn't understand why people wear other people's jerseys. Right. Yeah. You're not that person. So I'm like, so I made a D. Then he made the DF. Oh, if I had a DFS jersey, so I made a DFS jersey. It's like yeah. it's it's worth it. It costs sixty bucks to make, and it's good quality. Uh, so I yeah. thought as a uh, sixty bucks for 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 lulls, I'll do it. And then when I told Peter I was doing it, it's like Peter's like, "Can you make? Can you? I want one." So I'm like, oh, and, "And so I got one and then shipped it off to him." So whatever, like that. But it's like maybe I should have just gotten one for Pete because I just have it hanging up here, and I don't, I don't know, I don't see myself ever wearing it. I don't want to wear basketball jerseys to begin with, right? So maybe I should just send it to Brian. Yeah, maybe he'll appreciate it. Uh, so anything, anything else going on on, on your end? No, not really. Yeah, from a from a DFS standpoint, I'm I'm ready for baseball season. I'm excited it's coming back. Um, I just I just got a message actually from from Nolan and Slack, uh, head of content at at Awesomeo, asking me if I do MLB DFS, which I assume means do you want to do MLB DFS content? So maybe I'll do some MLB DFS content at Awesomeo. I'll, I'll have to think about that. I feel like I could. Like NBA is the one sport that I'm like. I can't really do live before lock. Like it's just not, it's not feasible for me to be right. the way that I make light up so close to lock. And I do it kind of crunching and I'm like hyper-focused NBA. I couldn't do it, but I think MLB, I could potentially. So maybe, maybe you'll see me uh, if you watch uh, awesome MLB streams 
maybe I'll do some. Yeah, I do MLB for like road grind. I don't mind. I do the morning grind with Stevie. You know, probably like maybe two or three times a month or whatever. Like, and that's we record that like at like eleven or midnight the night before. Like, I don't mind doing that for baseball. I mean, typically, it's gonna it's it's still gonna apply for basketball. What's the point? I mean, right. I, I'm, of course, I'm saying this while Rota Grinder still does a morning grind for basketball, but yeah. that's something so, to uh, like uh, leisurely l- listen to in the morning on, as a yeah. podcast and then kind of go like, well, most of this stuff it's probably going to have to throw out anyway. But and yeah, I yeah, I don't, mind, I don't mind doing grinders live for base. Like to me, to yeah. me, baseball, most of the stuff, by, by the time we do a show at like five o'clock, 530 or so Eastern time, a lot of lineups are in. You get a lot of the dynamic of the slate. You could look up, you know, top stack, slate IQ, and you look at the die like, oh, this team's going to be under-owned, or this position is weak. You probably play a one-off here. You know, like, there's there's more, like, game theory you could talk about that that isn't going to change 30 minutes from that. Like, I mean, in basketball, geez, I mean, like, within five minutes, literally everything about the slate, we, we were talking about slate dynamics, Right. That's the key thing about basketball is like you can right. go into a slate going, yeah, it's going to be this type of slate with you're mostly going to pay up here and right. pay down there. And then like one, this guy's out. Oh, all, all those dynamics are gone. Suddenly it becomes a stars and scrubs slate. Like previously right. it was like, oh, you just play the middle and then now you can play the most expensive guys because this player is out and now there is such great value on that team. Yeah. Everything changes. So right. And the positions matter, right? You get up oh, all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're playing a double center build. Because it's like you got two, you got two centers that are four K too cheap, so it's like okay, that's that's kind of the build that you and, but you would never imagine doing a show at four forty five, and going yeah, here are all my thoughts for forty five minutes on the slate dynamics and everything, and then Joel Embiid out right, yeah. right next thing you know Giannis is out, Jokic isn't playing. It's like well what what, <laughs> yeah, what was the you point of the past biggest- forty five minutes? You know what my biggest worry is with doing MLB content is uh, being held to what I say. So, like, I feel like with NFL sometimes, because I did the show on Saturday, I talk about, like, I think I want to be around this percent of this player. Like, I want to go well over the field on this player uh, just based on, like, I would look at the the tools at awesome. I would look at the boom bust tool and stuff. But then sometimes the, the day of, as I'm building my lineups, I'm like, oh, but I find this really interesting. I don't know. Like, th- things kind of change for me as I'm thinking about the slate more and more i'm always kind of changing what i'm doing i worry about uh saying something and being like oh i really don't like this stack and then later on kind of changing my mind about that and i don't know well that's why you have Sometimes. to change your terminology neil yeah maybe i do but don't say you like any i that's why who do you like i don't know anyone i don't know who do i like yeah what does that mean i mean so so i i guess i don't really do that but i say like i would expect that i'm going to be over the field on this player or under the field on, i don't know so, right. so i do stuff yeah but like I, but also i don't even talk like that no right because like i don't talk in terms of exposures so like just right, build right. good lineups like i like to me it if anything like you could say i believe this player is under owned i believe this player is over owned yeah. now how many lineups that player fits in who can that that's none of that's none of a viewer's concern. I mean, you could say like who? That's why those terms. It's like I don't like. If you ask me who I like, I'd be like, well, whatever players end up making plus EV lineups more than others, and those players, from my perspective, happen to be these players. But I don't like having it determined as the word like, because right. people don't. People then will say like, meaning I think that player is going to do well. Which is not right. is which is nothing of the sort of what I'm saying, 
right? right. So I, that's why I like, that's why I, I avoid those types of terminologies. And same for exposures. I explain I'm being above the field. Well, what does that mean, right? right? How much above the field? And what does that mean to someone else that, well, what if I'm playing three lineups? Because they don't understand. All you're doing, I understand what you're saying, because you're saying the same thing that I'm saying. I believe this player is underowned, which means I believe I'm going to get him in more of my he's gonna make up more of my plus EV lineups than other players. Whether that ends up being 40% or 10% or whatever, it's just a product of the diversification. But when players hear, you don't you, you don't want to be stuck in the position where it's like, yeah, I'm gonna play a lot of that guy, and you end up playing eight percent of them. Right? Because yeah. Yeah. nothing's changed or anything, but it just, it only have, yes, he's under owned, but not that under owned. And he fit in a position here and I'm going to be playing these two pitchers and stacking this team. So I can't like, it's a, it's a $5,800. It's one Soto and you're not even stacking the nationals much. Right? right. So it's like, yeah, he's under owned, but I'm playing a lot of this expensive pitcher and this expensive stack. Also, so I don't end up with much Juan Soto, even though Juan Soto is 4% owned and you have 8% of them. You told someone you're going to have a lot of guy and they're going to look at you and go, well, you only had 8%. You lied to me. You're holding back. Right, right. You hold back. You de- deceived. You were doing that. To, you were doing that because you were going to try to raise his ownership artificial. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's the kind of stuff you get, right? Right. Of course. You just you know you know exactly. I mean, just like just like uh, what Greg, Greg, Greg. Uh, if anything happens with Draymond Green, he's the expert, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. With with Steve Kerr, right? He knows before they. <laughs> he knows before the team does. Yeah. He didn't adjust his lineup, so that's because he doesn't want you to know. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was my favorite. Yeah, you can't you can't win with those types of people. That that's a that's a pure conspiracy theory type of mindset. Because yeah. anytime, if you're a hardcore conspiracy theorist, the absence of evidence is the evidence, right, and then right, you're yeah. just like, you, then you might as well just throw yourself out, just throw yourself off a roof yeah. at that point, right? right. Yep. It's like, well, if he knew, how come he was in all of his lineups? He said, just so he let it, make sure that he didn't like, like that doesn't make any. The right. most common thing is that he didn't know, and he got screwed too. <laughs> I would say poor Greg for having to deal with that, but I feel like Greg just loves that, eats that shit up, so. Does he? I think so. I think Adam doesn't Adam like it more. Yeah, I mean they're different, but I think I feel like they both kind of like it. Um, you know, I think Greg, with his comedy background, loves just like making jokes at these people's right. Experiences. Adam just insults. Adam, Adam, Adam will just say you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty <sighs> combative site that I work at, isn't it? No. Why isn't it? It's not that Not-com combative. People. Yeah, I guess just just those two for the most part. How's the sl- how's the Slack? Are you guys I, ever going to be on Discord? Why, 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 we, we, what are we, we doing moved with over Slack? To it's actually on Discord now. the the uh, The company is on Slack, so like I oh I the company's oh so so awesome now has a Discord. Yeah, also has a Discord. Oh, then I got I got to get in there to see if anyone's shit talking me. Yeah, I'm always shit talking you in there. Oh god, uh, no, I I actually I, I 
don't go in the Discord that much. I got uh, recently, uh, Rinpak DM me and was like, hey, somebody wanted to find you in the Discord. So I went into the Discord that day. But like, I don't spend a lot of time. I don't really like Discord that much. I, I think I just don't quite get it yet. It's just too busy. Like, I've got a million different conversations going on. Uh, like, and I've got like one on one conversation. Then I've got all these spam people spamming me NFTs. And then I'm in a, you know, 20 different Discord. So I, I think that I, I really haven't fully uh, bought into Discord as much as most people have at this point. You have, to, you have to customize it. You have to set, you know, like, I, I mean, I've muted channels, you know, only okay. at mentions. Like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm pretty much into, like, I'm in a ton of discords, and it's like, anyone, I'll, I'll know when I get mentioned, right? If someone has a question or someone talking about or something like that. And I could, depending on the day, like, Saturday afternoons, I'm in the MMA channels of all the discords, right? And I may not even be posted. I mean, I just... Is any is there any news? Is there anything worth anything or whatever? I mean, just or just hanging out during the fights or something. And then Saturday morning, like I'm in the RotoWire soccer Discord, right? I mean, like because that's where more of the soccer people are. I mean, like so I bounce around and stuff like that. But like you don't have to set it so that you get like any type of visual. Like I'm not, I'm not, oh I got to read everything in every channel. It's like dude, no, like I'm not playing. Yeah. I'm not playing college football. There's no reason for me to even have the, uh, I'll just mute the entire channel and it won't even yeah. show up in the list. Yeah, right. And just, I need to do. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you, if yeah. you, yeah, if you leave everything open, it'll be fucking chaos. It, and, and that's what I've got. I mean, I, I have turned off some channels cause there was some channels where I would get like the at everyone, like yes. every minute there'd be a new at everyone. And I'm just like, I don't want to hear any of this shit. Uh, but then there are some, you know, I, I guess like so like for Awesome, I want to hear when there's breaking news, like when when news got over at Awesome uh, has breaking news as this player is in or out. I want to get those notifications, but I don't want to get all of the at everyone notifications. So I don't know. It's uh, you could you could configure some stuff. There there's ways to do stuff. And maybe I want to get just the ones that are at me specifically. I don't know if there's a way to configure that. Yeah yeah no yeah that that's a main that's okay. a main option. Just. Just all right. at mentions. You're right. That you're you're right. Get... I just need to go in and, and right. I just I mostly I just I had somebody message me. It was like, hey, uh, can I message you on Discord sometime? Somebody sent me a Twitter DM, uh, right. and I was like, just message me here. <laughs> like I, right. I'm on Twitter, you know, throughout the day. So like, if you want to talk to me, just DM me on Twitter. I'm a lot more likely to respond. Right. I I try. I have, I have uh, uh, Discord DMs off friends only. Okay. Because I because I used to what would what would happen too much is that. I'd get direct messages from Roto-Grinders people. Should I play this guy or this guy? Should I do that? Said, just at, just at mention me in the channel. That's the NBA channel. That's the, like, right. like don't mess, because at least if it's public, someone else could, I don't, it doesn't have right. to be me, right? It doesn't like, I'm not, who knows where I am? Like, I'm just but doing it. You could still tag me if you want. But just don't do it in the messages where I get a different notification where it's like, why is someone direct messaging? And yeah, my Twitter DMs are open. But a lot of times when people ask me there, I say, go into the Discord. I mean, like, like what what you have a spot. It's not like I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not available. Right? Just like, and I was getting too much, like you said, you're probably getting spam stuff, but like yeah. and then I'll just get friend like and what what'll end up happening is some random person is like friend request. I see, I don't even know who that person is, and I just X them out, just ignore, right? And it's like, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't deal with 17 messages a day from people that could just be posting in the main channels of the discords that they're in, right? right? To just, 
Do you think this guy's going to play tonight? Why, 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 why are you messaging me? Just post it in the NBA chat. Just post it in there. Yeah. Right? Like that. And that's why I have it. That's how, why I have my own channel on the Road to Grinders Discord. So now, now I even have a more itemized spot. Right, because yeah. because people would have general questions about DFS, but not know what channel to post them in. Right, it's like I have a question about bankroll manager. I have a question about something that's not like tied to a sport. And they're like, do I just mention you in the NBA channel because it's NBA season? <laughs> so it's like, no, just now I have my now I have a game theory channel. Just go there. I'll, I'll I respond to literally everything. Right, it may not be immediate, obviously, because I'm mean, maybe in the middle of something. But you post yeah. a question there, just like. If you DM me or you on the pregame show, I respond. And I do the Zoom calls, the group coaching, you know, weekly or something like in that in there. Uh, but yeah, if you said it to friends, like, you're the one, Neil, that has to, it shouldn't be on other people to dictate how you uh, organize your communication. It should, they need to cater to you. You don't need right. to cater to them. Yeah, which is why I told the guy on Twitter, just message me here. I mean, that's in general what I do. I just tell tell people where I'm going to be, and a lot of people are like, I don't want to, I don't want to waste your time. And I'm like, well, I you're already I'm wasting willing. my time. <laughs> well, <laughs> you just say that. What what I usually tell people is, I'm willing to answer questions. I might not get back to you right away. It might be a few days sometimes. Usually not, but like, just understand that I'm not like. Don't worry about wasting my time. I'll answer your question. I just you can't expect me to respond right away because I'm busy or sometimes I just don't feel like it right away. I don't want to go through my Twitter DMs like right. I'm gonna get back to you when I get back to you. But if you can accept that I'm just gonna get back to you when I get back to you, back to you, then ask me ask away. I don't care. Right. But I'm not gonna do it on 17 platforms at once. Like I don't. Right, right, yeah. Just right. I, that's the that's the thing that I, it's right. like. This is where I'm comfortable. Feel like if someone's like, "Well, I'm always on Discord. I'm never on Twitter." It's like that ain't that ain't my problem, right? right? That that isn't my problem. That's your problem. Right. I'm telling you where I am. I'm not. I don't exactly. have to go where you are, right? Did, did are you paying me directly? If you're paying, if you, if you said I'm going to pay you this much and you come up, I'm fine. Okay, that was the agreement. But other than that, like you know, people, you know, Facebook, uh, Facebook Messenger. It's like, how old are you? What would Facebook? Right. What are we doing on Facebook? Funny is that's the only way that I uh, interact with my wife. We don't text. We just use Facebook Messenger for some okay. reason. But at least you know that. See, but, that, like, but that's like our dedicated. Yeah, like I don't right. do that with anybody else. So like typically. Right. Yeah. Like I wouldn't give anyone in like the DFS space, like use subs or anything like that, like my, my phone number for texting. Right. It's all text. Just text in the place where it was texting. Just text. <laughs> That's why we have a place. So just do it there. Yeah. Don't do it in my personal space. <laughs> right? I've had people that, 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 that I, I cleaned out my Facebook following. Because I, I would have random DFS people that, and I was at the point where just any, anyone is fine. And I just closed. I closed that to Instagram. I'm, I'm done. Right? I deleted all my photos from Instagram. Which my last photo wasn't, uh, I think, four years ago or something. Yeah. So basically, Facebook and Instagram are, 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 might as well. I mean, yeah, I still have a Facebook profile, but you're basically getting, it's all private. And I think I have 13, I curtailed it all the way down to like 13 friends. And basically, it's the list of people that, like, if that they have my number, they would call me on the phone and go, uh, you want to go to a movie today? Like type of right. type of people. Like no one, no one. I remember them in the third grade. Like none of those fucking people. 
I've right. got a lot of those people. Right. See, I mean, and that's kind of how I tweet, treat Facebook at this point. I'm not posting anything personal really on mm-hmm. Facebook. It's just like a, this is where you can see what people from your past are up to, and that's what Facebook is as right. far as I'm concerned. But, but, I, but I'm controlling into the fact of like I could see that, but you can't see me. Right, right. Right? Yeah. So it's like I could be on Instagram and I could follow people, but you have no – you have zero photos. You have no – like – I have zero followers. I have zero. I have zero nothing. It's like I'll go on Instagram and and and, and watch uh, you know uh, funny wrestling stuff or you know like stuff like that. So I could view, but like I'm not making any posts. You can't see what I've liked. I don't touch the like button at all. Right? Only because the way that Facebook operates or Meta, whatever you want to fucking call it. Right. Basically, I got to the point where where I left stuff open. Enough. I mean, I you know, private information is private information, but enough where it's like I'm not really active on these platforms, so it's just they're just kind of like sitting there. Kind of, I'm in Facebook groups. I'll post in Facebook groups that I'm in, right? But I'm not posting in general. But it gets to the point where like the usefulness of these platforms has become so minimal to me yeah. that I might as well just like why am I saving photos of a potato knish box from 2015 on my Instagram? Like just, right. I'm just like, there's, there's no usefulness of this to me and there's no usefulness of anyone else to follow me. And also if you're following me, that means you get access to everything in my profile. So it's like, if someone breaks into your stuff, they can get into my thing. And like, like yeah. that's how, that's how you could learn everything about anyone anyway. Cause people have their shit too open. Right. Yeah. So it's like, like the the biggest culprit of leaving shit too open is Facebook. So I just like, since I have no usefulness anymore, just like fuck you. Like I don't have to delete the profile, but the 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 only the only connections I have are from people that I trust eminently. Yeah. That like if you hey if you're a friend of my friend, okay, then you could see a little bit more. You could see some posts, but if you're not even close to that, you'd like and and these are posts. From whatever Twitter, Twitter, I I, I bombed uh, my account from like 2017 below, so I deleted every tweet. Wow! From like 2017, I, mean, I did this a while ago. Because saying a lot of racist stuff back then. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I was a comic. I don't know. I don't know. I I, I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe something that can be taken. I suppose the fact that you were a comic, you probably did leave yourself more open to. Right. Exactly. So it's like, what, what, why am I, no one's reading these. Why do I need this? So let me just delete everything. 2017. Just do all of that. Yeah. It's not worth it. No. But you can follow, you can follow you, right? That people can follow you. Player Q DFS on Twitter. You can. And you could probably use your information to find your Facebook profile. You could. It's just my name. Right. I'm the only right. person. As far as and I you know. have you have another Twitter profile. I do have another Twitter profile. But you don't. You, I, you, I, I don't use that one at all anymore. It's uh, it's actually. But is that should be the one that you do use? It's literally your name. It is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> which is why I. Which is why I keep it. I don't know. I don't so know you keep that one for the case, just in case when you're when you're done with DFS. You could right, just use that one? My old one. Yeah, I guess. Typically, it's more valuable to have just your actual name without an underscore or anything. It's just Neil Orfield. True. And just use that. Yep. I don't know. But of course, I've used my name, my username for multiple 
industries. I mean, it's just, it's the people that knew me as a tech person and podcaster from 2012 just don't follow me anymore. Cause all it's like, why am I following the dude that I haven't heard from in eight years and doesn't even talks about fantasy sports all the time. Right. And post gifts of the, of the cartoon guys with the money in the furnace. Like what the hell is that going to do? Right. Uh, and then you can follow yeah. me at Blender HD, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna join the Awesome Discord. You should. I mean, I'm not gonna post there or anything, but I'm just maybe I'll be there occasionally. I'll join. Maybe eventually I'll get in there regularly. I'm, I'm expecting to see that GIF of the, of the, the, the guy that walks in with the pizza box, and like it's a fire and shit's oh, yeah, going yeah. all right, like that type. Of, yeah. I, that's what I'm expecting. Right. I mean, any Discord, any DFS Discord. Well, that's what I said. I'm in every. I mean, if, if it's available, and I'm, I'm a, and I'm, I'm an awesome subscriber, right? I, I subscribe to everywhere. Yep. Uh, I might another one to go in my list on the sidebar of places that I barely look at. <laughs> Check out the the theory subcategory in the in the Roto Grinders Discord. There's not much going on. Typically, it's me posting messages of when the next Zoom call is, and occasionally, then someone will post a question, and then there's a conversation. Okay, but that's like that's like, like to me that's my inbox, right? Right. So when people are like, "Oh, do you do private coaching? Can you help me with like this?" So you sign up for Roto Grinders, you join the Discord, and there's there's access to me and text questions and weekly Zoom calls. Well, I don't. What what else do you want from me? Right. How much more can I give? Other than my MMA rating numbers. That's all the people really want. Yes. Uh, okay, okay. So we're done. Uh, uh, you don't. You don't even know this yet. Uh, next week, uh, Cardi's going to come on. On this show. Yes. It's nice. a baseball starting Cardi. I use the bat. Typically, I like uh, having a conversation with him. Of what's changed this year? Any ballparks are different. Anything is the ball not round anymore? You know, like all that that type of stuff. I'll listen to it. Right. And then, and then the week after that, um, I'll be at WrestleMania. Okay. So then we'll 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 come back. So you get you get a three week vacation. All right. So we're gonna, but you but totally just 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 to be just to be clear, you are getting a paid vacation. I'm getting. Oh, thank you. Are you doubling my salary for this? I'm one? Du- right. You're getting time. And, you're getting time and a half or something. Nice. <laughs> right. All right. So, so you're so getting du- you're getting two times zero instead of one times right. zero. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. And put put that put that toward toward your MMA entries. I will. I will. Thank you. Uh, and as always, you get the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass that you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com.